Welcome to Everyday Oral Surgery, Surgeon's Talking Shop. This is your host, Dr. Grant Stuckey. In this podcast, you will be hearing surgeons discussing ways to improve the everyday practice of oral surgery. The ultimate goal of this podcast is to evaluate every aspect that a surgeon could improve in order to create a better experience for patients, staff, and the surgeon himself or herself. The vast majority of the information shared in this podcast will be based on personal experience and opinions. The techniques and methods discussed are only meant to provoke thought and should be supplemented with personal research into the clinically reviewed and approved studies prior to making changes to one's way of practice. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. All right, welcome to another episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. Today I will be interviewing my dear friend Trina Sengupta. She is an oral maxillofacial surgeon practicing in Brooklyn. Trina, great to have you on the episode today. Would you mind just giving us a brief history of your training and your current practice setup? Hi, Grant. It's so great to be on the podcast. It's so nice to see how far we've come from when we first met over like 10 years ago. So for some background for the audience, um, I grew up in the great state of New Jersey. Um, I attended Canisius College in Buffalo, New York for my undergrad. Then I went to dental school at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, During my first year of dental school, I became really interested in the field of oral surgery and scrubbed in on a total joint replacement with Dr. Peter Quinn and some of the chiefs and senior residents. And it was so, so amazing to see like the breadth and scope of our specialty. Um, After dental school, I was a GPR resident at the Philadelphia VA Medical Center where I got to work with Dr. Joseph Foote. Um, He was my first mentor who really encouraged me to apply and pursue oral surgery. Um, I didn't match after the first round, so I ended up coming to Chicago and completed an intern year with Dr. Maloro and Dr. Kolokitis at UIC, and that's also where I met you. Yes, we had a great year during that intern year. What a year that was, you know, talk about really seeing the full scope of our field of TMJ, orthognathic, trauma, dental alveolar. Um, Dr. K was really like my light that year. Uh, I think at times she had more belief in me than I did in myself. Um, after that year, I post-matched into Brookdale Hospital's oral surgery program at Brooklyn, New York, where I had the chance to work with um, my chairman and program director, Dr. Vito Cardo, who sadly passed away a couple of months ago, and uh, so many of our great faculty and other residents. Um, during residency, we rotated through Jamaica Hospital, where I worked with Dr. Sachs, and I uh, consider myself to be very, very lucky and blessed to have worked with so many great surgeons, and now Dr. Sachs is actually my colleague at that hospital. Um, many of them had this uh, professional balance that I wanted, which was to be part-time in private practice and still being involved in resident education, like lecturing and covering outpatient clinic and going to the operating room for trauma and other cases. The Mount Sinai Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery Program. And I'm also an associate in an oral surgery private practice um, in Park Slope in Brooklyn, the other part of the week. Um, I've been there for about three years and building my side of the practice has been great. And I really feel that the balance between academics and private practice is something that works for me. And I love the variety in the week because every day is different. So it's so awesome that you are able to split your work week between academics and private practice. Sounds like from what I was talking with you earlier, you are teaching oral surgery residents as well as other types of dental residents. We're going to touch on some of your background with some of our later questions. But first, I wanted to ask you how that is for you being a teacher to residents who aren't necessarily oral surgery residents and who maybe don't have that same 
career path or interest in oral surgery? It's hard. It's still hard when people aren't as like enthusiastic about like learning as like, you know, you and I are, but just kind of have to adjust and like adapt expectations, sometimes even lower your expectations. I know as long as like patient care is still format, like if a resident is genuinely not interested in their own education, like there's nothing I can do. And I think letting go of that control was like, that was like probably like year three, I learned that, no, listen, like not everybody cares Mm -hmm. how to do like people are going to go do like orthodontics after the GPR year. So like they, they don't like they're doing the GPR just to get their license in New York. And that's really it. But yeah, you just kind of like, I let the residents come to me with like what their goals for the year are, you know, what they want to get out of the program. And those that are more interested in show that they're like trying, like I'm going to extend myself more. And those who don't make sure that they know how to treat things safely and refer out what they don't want to do. And that's okay too. So I think having like a more open mind to realize that it's okay that not everybody is enthusiastic is that that was like probably a part of the learning curve for me also. Okay. I like that. That makes sense. There's a lot of people who want to do what you're doing and it's really cool to see that you're succeeding with splitting your week of private practice and academics because you get both sides of the coin of people who start doing private practice and then get burned out and go into academics or the people who go into academics and then get kind of caught up in the bureaucracy and red tape and say, forget this, you know, I'm, I'm getting out of this and want to make some more money and stuff like that. But it sounds like it's working out for you so far and it looks like you're succeeding. I think it is. I think it fits my personality pretty well. I can't imagine being in private practice five days a week because I think I would really miss being in the OR. And also in New York City, five days is not the work week. It's really a six day work week. Like, let's be honest. Okay. I mean, like COVID has like affected some things, but like six day work week was like pretty standard in the city for sure. But because I think because I actually do put close to three days a week into academia, like I needed the other three to to supplement that. I have a lot of shoes to buy, Grant. Let's just be, let's do something real. <laughs> I totally get that for sure. <laughs> and I have a lifestyle that I want to lead and, you know, want to save and all, yes. that, all that adult stuff. I have a lot of, a lot of admiration for people that do private practice full time because to get into like business ownership and like all of that seems like so daunting to me. So yeah. I think, you know, it's easy for, it's like the grass is always greener almost like, I think people like look at my life and they're like, why in the world would you do that? But it's like, I look at theirs and I'm like, how in the world can this person do this? But I think like, whatever works is like, is what's important. Yep. Just talking to you, it seems like you're a very enthusiastic, happy, positive, semi laid back teacher. And you don't always get that from those in academics. So that's my next question is how do you maintain a good attitude and not turn into that person who's freaked out about every little thing and gets upset easily? Because you and I have both experienced this along the way in our training uh, where you're the student and you make one mistake and you can tell your professor wants to murder you on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's never happened, Graham. I don't know. I think you just kind of keep perspective on things. Like, I think it comes with like the confidence. I think from year one to now, I'm definitely more like less controlling about what I'm supervising versus like what I'm actually hands on doing. Because, you know, there's an idea of like, if the resident maybe doesn't do something exactly right, like 
I can fix it. So as long as I, I feel like mm-hmm. I can fix it, like I let people not let them go, but like, you know, you kind of grade, grade them. Like, so like maybe an intern will do like a smaller piece, but by the time they get to like chief year, you know, most of my chiefs are pretty independent. They can do cases from, especially like towards the second half of the year. Remember our training, like by the second half of your chief year, you're pretty much doing most things like start to finish pretty much solo. And like, you know, you might get a, a tip here or there, but it's hard to kind of give up that kind of control, that perfection of like, well, it's not exactly how I would do it, but whatever the scenario may be. And I think it's also important to like, just like stay calm and not get flustered because us as the surgeons and like we as the attendings in the room, like we're kind of the leader. So if we lose our cool, then everyone loses their cool. Yeah. And I, I found this in private practice also. Like you always have to stay calm and keep your cool and keep your temper at bay or whatever, whatever the scenario is. And you can vent like later to like whomever you need to, because I think it's important for all of us to have our own venting sessions to like prevent burnout and all of that. But like in the moment, I think it's important to kind of check your emotions and just stay focused on like, what is a problem at hand? What could we, can we fix immediately? What do we maybe need to fix in the future? And how do we move forward? And maybe how do we adjust expectations and just kind of like work through like whatever your own algorithm is. And maybe that segues us well into how it is for you being a woman in oral surgery not only are you a woman but you have kind of a more unique background and culture how has that played a role in your training and your experience to get where you are now my path to oral surgery was not necessarily the most straightforward i did a gpr and then i did an intern year and obviously you know grant like after my intern year i didn't match so I think the second half of my intern year was probably the most challenging part of my career, even though my career technically hadn't started yet. And then one day I got that, like on July 1st, actually of 2010, I got a a phone call from Dr. Carter, who's since um, passed away, but telling me that, listen, there was a resident who dropped out of the program. If you want to come to New York and come interview. And I was like, how is it that I made the entire year like this? And I didn't match. I you know did all the right things and whatever. And a resident dropped out, which is why this now spot is available. And I basically like packed my things up overnight, came to New York, interviewed, and he accepted me on the spot. And it was amazing because it was like all of it kind of made sense. So like I have been really fortunate to be surrounded by more people who have been positive. There's plenty of people who are negative and plenty of people who are challenging, we'll call them. Yes. But I have been so fortunate to be surrounded by really positive forces. When I was at the VA my mentor there was Dr. Joseph Foote. He was such a light at Penn. And then in Philadelphia, even like after the first time I didn't match, helping me link to Dr. Maloro's program at UIC. And then at, at UIC, I met Dr. Kulagithis. And she was like the light that I needed there to kind of like guide me through. And, you know, she always had a plan B like, okay, if this doesn't happen, we'll go to this. And if this doesn't happen, like she was so proactive and like helped kind of keep me calm and like, help me understand that, okay, if it didn't happen this year, it'll happen soon. Like we'll figure out how to work on your application and your research or whatever it is. Like we were, we're going to, we'll, we'll get it. We'll get you there. Yeah. And I just remember like when I got that phone call from Dr. Cardo and after I'd been accepted, like the first person I called was actually Dr. Kolokitas. And I was like, can you believe this? And she's like, of course I believe it. That's awesome. Why wouldn't it happen? And I'm like, that's the kind of attitude I want to have. Like she had so much belief in me that I didn't have obviously like you know when you don't match like you're yeah crushed <laughs> but totally and I just remember thinking I was like when I'm an attending because now I'm going to be an attending because I'm going to get out of this program like one way or the other like that's the force I want to be so 
I've just like tried to embody as much of the positivity from a lot of the amazing mentors that I've had, not even in oral surgery, like people that I've met on my general surgery and trauma rotations and internal medicine and anesthesia, especially, which has been like a big force in my life of just like taking positive things from a lot of the positive role models that I've had and kind of incorporating that and just trying to like kind of live that out and, you know, make my mentors proud and keep, keep this going. So, yeah, that's really cool. And it seems like you've been around amazing, supportive people. Have you ever had any issues where people caused trouble for you because you're a woman? Or was that never really a point for you? It has been an issue, but you just kind of work around it. And a lot of it comes from a place of like the unknown. A lot of times I walk into a room and not just a patient room, but like, you know, in a professional meeting sense, and people assume you're like a nurse or like a pharma rep, which are all fine. But like, you kind of have to like, just gently correct and let them know that you're actually a surgeon and you're an attending and you're involved with like resident education. And, you know, there's people that like, are just negative, grumpy people. And like, there's nothing you can do about it. And I think it's good to acknowledge that they exist. And that there are there are road bumps along the way. And nothing is smooth and nothing is easy. But like, it's, you know, you just kind of focus on the good people and the good forces that are around you. And I think that's kind of what's gotten me through. But yeah, of course, there have been challenges and challenging people along the way. Still to this day, ask me like, what I'm doing with my life. And I'm like, I've been graduated from residency for the last almost seven years now. And oh, really? Like, so like, you can't, you can't change those people. So like, it is what it is. Well, that's awesome. I really appreciate you sharing that. I love that mentality that you and Dr. Kola Keith has had of continuing to push forward and coming up with plan Bs and not giving up on your goals and your plans. It's very inspiring for those who are wanting to become an oral surgeon and even beyond that, once you are an oral surgeon and other things in your life, it's such a great lesson to learn that most great things that happen to you aren't going to happen on the first try. And usually we're going to fall flat on our face. And it's so important to get up and keep moving on. Any clinical pearls that you've learned over the last couple of years or subtle things you've changed in the way you've operated or do things? I think at the beginning, I used to make really nice big flaps, even for teeth. And I think visibility is important. You know, those really deeply impacted third molars that you wonder like how much more do I have to drill to get this tooth out? But I think, you know, like soft tissue management of like yes. a bigger, wider access that you don't have to, you know, adjust and readjust and recut is like mm-hmm. a much easier incision to close. Like later on, like one thing I've been really trying to impart with the residents, it's like, just plan your incision and make one incision. Don't do the fireworks basically in the, in the mucosa. So I think, visibility is a big thing. And, you know, as you get more experience, your flap size sometimes gets smaller and because you can do more and you've, you've learned how to kind of like work with, with what you got there. But I think like sticking to basic surgical principles, you know, straight line, clean dissection, you know, good closure, like that's, it sounds simple, but like when you're troubleshooting, it's like, I find myself going back to those pearls, whether it's to remove a tooth, to reduce a fracture, to remove a cyst, like to do a sinus lift, like whatever it is, is back to like basic surgical principles. Yeah, that totally reminds me of Dr. Marx. He had the saying that he would always repeat in his lectures, because I listened to his lectures over and over for the oral boards, but he'd always say, see well what you do so you can do well what you see. Exactly. Which means, you know, make a big enough flap to see what you're doing. So you're not you know, working in a dark hole and making mistakes. 
there's simple things that, you know, a lot of those things I think separate a, a new surgeon from a experienced surgeon and just really helpful. Exactly. Well, that's terrific. I really appreciate that comment. Anything else you wanted to say? I think if you're applying to oral surgery and you find that you didn't get in, do a really, really solid intern year. There's this new test, the CBSC, which I'm so glad we never had to take. Because honestly, if I was applying to oral surgery now, there's no chance I would have gotten. <laughs> even with Dr. Cardo's good graces, like there's no chance that would have happened. I don't even know if I would have gotten into our intern year in Chicago, quite honestly, <laughs> because like, these applicants are like unbelievably qualified. Oh yeah, for and sure. It's like, no GPAs could go that high in dental school because mine certainly was like it was good, but it wasn't that impressive. Just like come up with a good study plan and stay focused. And you know, like I basically didn't match twice, and I happened to get lucky, and I post matched into a spot. But I think staying positive and staying the course, and if that's something you want to do, like you'll figure out a way to get it done. And this is probably for like more experienced surgeons, so I don't necessarily have pearls for them. But I guess for them, it's if you want to get involved with teaching. And if you want to, if that's a, a career goal of yours, then start now because whether it's creating your own program or creating your own rotation or whatever it is, like do it now because things take time. And that's the best thing to give back and, you know, continue on this great field that we're in. Yes, totally. That's great advice. Side note, my younger brother is in his first year of oral surgery residency at Case Western. Okay. But I was going to say the amount of studying that he put into the CBSC and the USMLE, it was just ridiculous. It it dwarfed the effort that I put in to get in. Like we took the DAT and we're like, fingers crossed. Exactly. <laughs> whatever the part one of the boards. Yep. And, but yeah, there's no chance I would have gotten in this year or recently. And even in our residency and in a lot of res- residencies, there are so many people who are super book smart and can get all the right answers on a test and make it there after this Herculean effort. And maybe they didn't quite know what type of mental difficulties would be coming during residency. But there were so many, you know, amazingly smart people I saw get into oral surgery residency and then quit because there were so many, you know, conflicts, obstacles, mental difficulties in their way every day that they had never experienced that it was just too much and they quit i mean for me as well it was definitely one of the most difficult things i had experienced and i had to get to that point for myself and kind of say to myself you know what i'm going to finish this i'm going to really realize my dream of becoming an oral maxillofacial surgeon there's nothing anyone can do to stop me and whatever trials or conflicts you know get in my way i will overcome them and it was almost like when I made that decision that, you know, I would really just stick to my plans and that no, no one was going to stop me from getting to where I was. It was almost like the obstacles or the antagonizers just kind of fell away and almost like realized like, hey, this guy, he's not backing down and let's just put our efforts somewhere else because he certainly is sticking to his plans. So I think that like gladly, I think that's a mentality that's starting to change. That definitely happened to me. And I think one of my goals as like one of the younger attendings is to like, not create that kind of work environment. Because while that may work for some, I think people generally tend to do 
like better work when they feel supported and not trying to be kicked down literally at every every single effort. I mean, there were some some very dark days of residency of like, it's like, this is never going to end. But I always knew, I was like, it doesn't matter. It followed your footsteps of like, you can kick me down or throw me down or make me do seven presentations or put me on call like 12 times in a month and ignore all of this whole GME thing. But it's fine. Like I'm going to do it because I'm going to finish and do bad. Our jobs now is like, the newer, younger generation that you know are going to teach to not necessarily perpetuate that kind of that toxicity, if you want to call it, because it's just like, what did it accomplish? You know, we we're all going to be fine anyway. Like, you know, I don't need to be handheld necessarily, but like constantly pushing someone down is like at some point, it's like, oh, it almost speaks to like their character than like their strength necessarily. Yeah, and I was going to bring that up that it seems like when attendings or other people in academics are in that mindset of like, you know, let's berate these people and make our juniors kind of look like idiots and point out all their faults. It definitely points to the fact that the attending has a fear that, you know, people under them are going to mess up. And so they motivate by fear in hopes to make people be more careful and, and do a better job. But the ironic thing is that it's usually that type of motivation that takes confidence away from people and makes residents perform worse because they're second guessing what they're doing. And I really feel like it's those people who have confidence and you know can instill that in others have residents who just perform much better. I think the other thing to that point is like, I think it's important to point out people's weaknesses, but that should be used to like prepare them. Even before like something simple, like we're taking out a tooth, you have to go in with a plan and you have to go in with an alternative to your plan. And you have to go into like what complications might likely arise and how are we going to address them? And I think when residents, when students can actually verbalize what they're going to do and then carry that through that seems to at least in my hands it seems to work better but I think making you scared of your own shadow and like you're second guessing yourself before you've even like made a decision before you've even like started anything it's like it's more productive let's prepare and like literally talk through all of the worst case scenarios before we start so that we all are on the same page that we all know what we're doing and then we can go together as a team because at the end of the day like we're a team younger residents and the older residents and like younger attending and older attending at the end of the day, like we're all on one side of it and the patient is there because they need us and they, and like we are there to, for them to serve them. So I think that's like a, it seems to be a more productive way to, to do things. But yeah. You know, there's always those people that even now, like even as an attending now, like people that, like try and like pull that stuff with me. And I'm like, Hey, I'm not your resident anymore. Like go, go bully someone else. So <laughs> That's crazy. That's a great point. There's no excuse for not preparing and knowing your stuff and, and the possible problems and issues. You definitely need to put the work in, but we do know that no one's going to be perfectly prepared, especially when they've probably never done the surgery before this type of procedure. And so, 
as an attending, you know, when your student gets to that point where they hit a roadblock and don't know what to do or kind of messing up, you know, I guess the attending has to decide to say, I can't believe you had that weakness, you're an idiot, or let's talk through some options and ways you can get through this. And here's some input I have. And what do you think? And kind of get the mental juices flowing, not making people more afraid. It takes time though. I mean, I haven't perfected that yet, but hopefully over the course of the next like 40 years, I don't know how long people practice for, but however long I can practice for and however long I can keep contributing to this field, like every day gets better and every year gets smoother. Everything is something, but I think teaching is like the ultimate way to get back. Well, I will thank you on behalf of all your students and the people who are helping because Sounds like you're just doing an awesome job with teaching and helping out. And it's so great that you're dedicating that time and, and giving back to the profession in that way. I think it's so important that all of us in the field give back, even if it's just monetary means. But the more we can, I think the, the better it's going to be for all of us. Cool. Are you okay if any of our listeners contact you or where are you at with people reaching out to you? You can email me at drdr.trina dot sengupta at gmail.com excellent thank you so much if you have any great cases or catastrophic failures we'd love to talk about those on the podcast thanks for listening to this episode of everyday oral surgery surgeons talking shop if you are practicing oral surgery or in the oral surgery field and would like to be on this podcast please email me at grantstukey at gmail.com or feel free to text me or call me at 720-775-5843. Also, if you have any topics that you would like to hear discussed or any feedback on certain episodes that have already aired, I would love for you to call or email me. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.